When I was in the sixth grade, there was this kid that always, always, always gave me a hard time. He was always making fun of me. He was always threatening me. He was always picking on me. Um, I remember one time he told me that he was actually going to beat me up and feed my body to the alligators, which I just didn't sound like much fun to me. So I kind of ran from that a little bit. But the summer between sixth and seventh grade, I had it in my head that I was going to become the Hulk. I was just going to work out and this kid would never, ever pick on me again. So that's what I did all summer between 6th and 7th grade. Every day I can remember, I was down in my basement. We had a punching bag set up, and I was punching this kid. I mean, the, the bag. I was punching the bag. And I was just, my goal was to get back and be jacked and huge. And this guy would never mess with me again. And so I worked out. I did get bigger that summer. And so 7th grade, man, I walked into middle school, and I walked into the building ready for him to see me. And he left the school. <laughs> he was gone, right? And so I was just, I remember being really upset about that. But then about two or three years later, he visited one day. And he hadn't grown an inch since sixth grade. And I'd shut up about a foot. I'm like, how do you like me now, right? He never picked on me again. But you know what's sad about that story? Is that I let him define my worth. I let his opinion of me and the way that he treated me define who I believed myself to be. And it impacted me, like you just heard, for an entire summer, I let him define me. I let what he thought of me and the way he treated me determine how I lived my life. During sixth grade, when he walked in the room, I became a different person because I let him tell me who I was. I let him define my worth. And I think this is probably something you've struggled with before too, haven't you? That there are certain things you remember from 10, 20, 30, 50 years ago, some of you, that you'd say, man, I can remember clear as day what that person said to me. I remember clear as day how that person treated me and how it impacted my understanding of my own worth. I remember being about eight years old and one of the kids on my neighborhood making fun of my physical features. I remember being in about seventh grade and another kid at my church making fun of something about my physical features And thankfully, the police never found their bodies. Um, No, I'm just kidding. I would never have killed these two kids. I I just killed one of them. Um, But And so so I I just remember these things. And I remember then, I remember about 11th grade, a teacher said something to me at a time in my life where I was just really, honestly, vulnerable and hurting. And and she said something really hurtful to me that embarrassed me very badly. And that stuck with me. I can tell you exactly what she said. Uh, I can tell you when I was a young youth pastor, the first negative feedback I got about a message that I gave. And just, I could tell you what the girl said. I could tell you exactly where we were standing and, and, and just the attitude that she had. And it was the first of many negative feedbacks about my messages. But uh, that, that was the first one. And so I wasn't really primed for that yet. And I just remember that. And I remember the attack that it was on my self-worth. But you understand this too, right? You can think back to the words that have been spoken in your life that attacked your self-worth, that defined who you have been for many years now, maybe. You're looking back, oh man, I remember what they said, I remember how they treated me, and I'm, I'm, I, maybe I am actually largely who I am today because I let that tell me who I am and what my self-worth was. So this isn't just about the past, is it? We, some of us, unfortunately, have plenty of people around us today attacking our self-worth. We may have a boss who constantly belittles us and tells us we don't know what we're doing. Maybe we have a spouse that makes us feel that way. Maybe we have a parent that made us feel that way, or maybe some of us parents, if we're honest, some of our kids have made us feel like we just don't have much self-worth. And so maybe that's some of your guys' experience. Maybe for you, it's not the words that someone spoke. It was just a general lack of interest. Some of you would say, you know, my parents didn't really belittle me, but 
they just didn't seem that interested. Maybe it was a, a relationship you went after for a long time, or maybe you were in a relationship and suddenly that person lost interest. And since then, you've been trying to recover from the damage of that. And so it could be that. Some of us, it's just complete avoidance. You ever have those people in your life when you walk in, they walk out, and you're like, what did I do to you? You know, you, you walk down the hallway, they turn around and walk the other way. You walk in the house, they walk out of the house. And it's just that complete avoidance that say, says basically, you have no value to me. You have no worth in my eyes or my sight. Some of us, it's not living up to a certain person's expectation in our life that defines our worth. We just know there's that person that's just not happy. doesn't matter what we do or how we do it. It's always going to be wrong in their eyes. And so the fact that we've disappointed someone has been a real attack on our self-worth. So I don't know what it is for you, but I would guess we've all fallen into one of these categories. And, and I think the truth is, is that if we live that way, and if we say, okay, I'm all right with so-and-so defining my self-worth. I'm okay with that sixth grader defining my self-worth. I'm just going to live like he sees me. I'm just, that's who I am. I'm going to live like that parent or that boss has made me feel by their words or their lack of interest or their actions. And the truth is, is we're going to live a lonely life. And we're going to live a paranoid life. And we're going to live a people-pleasing life. And we're going to live a joyless life. We're going to be limited. Because God has wired us and put things in us that have value. And yet we're going to let someone else tell us that we're not valuable and those things don't count. And so this is really important for us to talk about today because I think there's an answer to all these things. And it's something that God's been just, you know, doing a lot in my own heart along these lines lately. And it's been so powerful for me. And I just knew that it was something as as God's doing in my life, it's something I need to share with you guys because I think that there are many of us that are struggling with these same types of thoughts and, and different struggles. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is an issue for you too, right? This isn't just like a church person issue. This is an everybody issue. We all struggle with this. Well, what if there's an answer Today I want to tell you that there's an answer that reaches everybody in the room. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the answer I have for you today is the same if you're not a follower of Jesus. We can all look to the same answer here today when it comes to people defining our worth. And so we're going to look for the next two weeks actually here in this series. We're going to look at a a letter that a guy named Paul wrote. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul was someone who was living life and he was trying to keep all the rules and work his way to God and eventually he realized he was a mess and he needed a savior and Jesus came into his life and completely changed his life. And then what he did was he went around all over the place telling people about Jesus, about what God had done in his life. And so he would go different places and he started churches in different places and one of the places he started a church was a place called Ephesus. And so he wrote his friends in Ephesus a letter, and we're going to look at chapter 1 this week and chapter 2 next week. But Paul really addresses our self-worth in all this and where we find it and how this works and, and how and who ultimately should define that for us. And so in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's fired up right now. He's excited about something. Well, Paul, what are you excited about? Why are you all fired up? Well, then he says this, Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what's he saying? He's saying God has given us all these unbelievable spiritual blessings. He's blessed us, blessed us, blessed us over and over again. Things that aren't just physical and here and now, but heavenly, spiritual, amazing things God's done for us. Well, what are those things? Well, let's start in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Okay. So every follower of Jesus been chosen by God. All right, so maybe your parent didn't choose 
to spend much time with you or you know, put much, much interest your way. Maybe the relationship that you had a lot of interest in fell apart. Maybe the person that you wanted to try to choose to date didn't choose you back. Maybe the boss constantly seems to choose somebody else for the promotion or for the new position or to take this new spot and run with it. So maybe all those choosings didn't happen in your life. But how powerful is it that God chose you? That God puts that much worth on you that he would say, hey, I, I want him or her as my child. That I choose them. I mean, imagine the worth placed on us by God. If he's going to look at you and I and say, hey, I want them. Like here and now in their current state, I want them. No matter where they are or what they're up to, I want them. I choose them. I just think that's such value that God places on every one of us. And then let's look at the rest of the verse here. So he started out saying, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Can I ask you a question? Are you holy and blameless like in and of yourself? I know I'm not. I know I'm a mess in and of myself. I know I'm broken and sinful in and of myself. And so God says, All right, hey, I chose you to be holy and blameless. Well, God, I got to just be honest with you. I'm not holy and blameless unless you make me holy and blameless. You got to do something in my life to make me that. And so God goes, okay, I will do that for you. I will make you holy and blameless. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my son on a cross in your place. And you know what? The whole reason this works is because Jesus was holy and blameless. The whole reason I get to be holy and blameless now is because Jesus lived the holy and blameless life that I couldn't live. And then he died in my place. He took the punishment that I deserved. And so that's how much God values me. That's how much God values you, that he chose you and said, hey, let me make you holy and blameless. Yes, I know you're a mess. Yes, I know everything in life that you try to accomplish doesn't normally get you where you want to go. Yes, I know you've been trying to get this right your whole life, but how about this? How about if I take your place and I make you holy and blameless? Well, why? Why would God do this? Well, I'm going to kind of cut us off at the start of the next line here. It might sound a little awkward, but I want to focus on really just one word. And so he starts the next slide. He says, in love. He's about to tell us something that God did for us because of his love. But can we just stop and just talk about that for a second? That God chose you. He made you holy and blameless. Why? Because he loves you. I don't deserve for God to make me holy and blameless. I know, neither do you, but he loves us. I know a lot of us know that in the room today, but have you let that get down into that part of you that knows it to a place that your self-worth is intact in that? That's not about a kid from sixth grade, but it's in that. It's not about a parent or a spouse or a child or a boss, but because in love God has done things for you and I that we don't deserve, my worth is intact. I find worth in that Remember recess? Remember how bad recess was when you were a kid? And they would say, all right, let's get everybody together. And all right, you kids go against that wall. You kids go against that wall. And they picked the two captains, like the star athletes. And the two star athletes got to stand in the middle. And they got to choose the team, right? Isn't that the worst? Just standing there at the end, like still not chosen. All right, please, someone choose me, right? I breathe. Can that count as like something valuable for the team? I breathe, okay? And so they, you know, choose everybody out. Well, I heard years ago a story along these lines. A guy named Dave Busby, who was a speaker and a pastor, and um, he had a lot of health issues. He had cystic fibrosis. He had liver and heart disease and diabetes, and he was sick his whole life. In fact, he passed away very young because of this. And 
Um, when he used to speak, he'd have oxygen, and, and he would kind of lean on the pulpit because he couldn't hold himself up. And he tells a story that when he was a kid, this happened at the recess field or the playground near his, near his home. His brother was the exact opposite of him. He was like a star basketball athlete, strong. Everybody wanted to be on his brother's team. And so, of course, his brother is chosen as a captain, and they send the kids to the two walls, and, and this guy Dave is standing against the wall, knowing he's not going to get chosen. No, he's going to get chosen last, if anything. They'll even let him play. And so the first captain makes his choice on the other team, and then Dave's brother has an opportunity to choose. And he looks at the wall of athletes, and he's looking at everybody, and he sees his brother Dave. And he says, I choose Dave. Dave's my first pick. And Dave couldn't believe it. And he proudly walked out and stood next to his brother, who would now lose the game. Because Dave was on his team. And Dave stood there knowing something. He knew this wasn't about basketball. This is about love. And that's what God's done for you and I. Propping ourselves up, leaning against the wall, broken, unable to perform. He says, I I choose you. All right, and we're going to let a sixth grade kid steal that from us? We're going to let a parent, a child, a boss steal that worth that God places on our lives from us? See, God in love has done incredible things for you. Do you see the worth that God ascribes to you? One of the definitions of this word love, when Paul wrote this, he wrote it in the Greek language, and one of the definitions has to do with the word interest. A part of this word love is interest. Some of you here today are saying, I just need someone to be interested in me. I just need, my whole life, I've just felt like the parent or the spouse or the boss, or it just feels like no one has interest. No one looks at me and says, I want to be near that person. I'm interested in what they care about. I'm interested in what makes them tick. I want to be close to them. And a part of the definition of this word love, when Paul says God does things in love for us, has to do with interested. God's interested in you. God wants to be near you. God wants to know what makes you tick. God wants to walk with you through what you care about. And so here's this incredible worth that God places on us. And so we're going to finish the verse now. Verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And that's a really loaded verse. But here we hear that God adopted us. And it was to his pleasure and will. Have you ever thought about the fact that, I don't know, sometimes you ever feel like God's just kind of stuck with you? Like, ah, he's God. He's got to want me. He's God. He had to choose me. I mean, because he's loving and stuff. I mean, if he probably, if he really had a choice, he wouldn't have picked me. But he's kind of stuck. And, you know, he died for like the whole world. So I guess I'm part of the world, so I'm in on that. No, it's to his pleasure and will that he adopts you that you belong to him, that you're his child. That's to his pleasure. He wants it that way. He wills for you, specifically, individually. Yeah, you sitting in the seat, not just the big crowd, no, you. God desires you belong to him. In the Greek, I want you to see what this word adopted means. It means accepted by God as God's child. Listen to this last part. With full rights. With full rights. You know what that means? That means that God doesn't just take us and throw us in the garage, so to speak, and like throw a few blankets out there and some food once in a while and say, okay, you, I'll give you somewhere to stay. 
you can kind of be a part of my household, but I don't want you in my house where my kids are, where my real kids are. No, you go out there, and I'll kind of take care of you, but that's where you're going to stay. No, God brings us into the house, so to speak, and he gives us the tour, right? And he says, hey, here's your room, and he says, hey, here's where you find the towels, and, and here's the pantry. You can grab some snacks, and here is the universal remote man's most prized possession. You can even, like, change channels and stuff if you want, but this is home. You're mine. You belong to me with full rights as my child. Then he goes on. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And so he's saying, hey, we're, we're supposed to praise his glorious grace. Well, what about that grace? Well, he's freely given us his grace through what Jesus did on the cross for us. This word grace means the giving of undeserved gifts, help, or care. And so God is freely giving you and I his gifts of grace over and over and over again, just pouring out on us his gifts of grace, his gifts of help when we are in need. So let, let's just recap a little bit what we've talked about. So God chose you through Jesus' death on the cross, made you blameless and holy. Because he loves you, he adopted you and I. And now he's pouring out this grace, this help on every single one of us that we just simply don't deserve. Do you see the worth that God gives you? How can any voice or expectation or lack of interest ever take that worth away from you and I? In verse 7 it says this, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. So what Jesus did on the cross actually redeemed us. And we did a series called Redeemed a year or so ago at our night service. And this idea of redeemed means to buy back. To buy back. That's what it means to be redeemed. To be bought back, okay? You know when you go to the supermarket and you got all your cans, you got your bag of sticky cans and water bottles and stuff, and you want to redeem them. And so you bring them to that redemption machine. And you, you, know, you put your arm in that gooey, nasty place where all the bottles are. Where if your timing's not good, you may lose your hand. Right? I mean, what is with that? Yeah, let me put my arm in this gooey death trap, and you give me five cents every time I do. That, that sounds worth it. Some kind of freakish carnival game or something. I don't even know. But when you go to that redemption center and you do that, you know what you're doing? I always had this backwards. You're not redeeming the cans. The company's redeeming the cans. They're buying back your cans. So don't say, hey, I'm going to redeem the cans. No, you're going to get some money. They're redeeming. They're buying back your garbage. They're buying back what otherwise would be worthless. And that's what Jesus has done for every one of us. He's buying back. He's taking back what otherwise would have no worth to make it useful. These companies buy back these cans and then they recycle them and they make new whatever. And I don't even want to know because I'm drinking out of it again. I don't even want to think about that. But they're making useful what no one else would need or want. And here is God redeeming us, buying us back through his blood. Saying, hey, I'm going to get on a cross for you to buy you back because you're lost, you're far from me, you're apart from me in your sin and you need a savior. So you're worth to me buying back. And so in him we have redemption through his blood and we have the forgiveness of sins. When's the last time you forgave somebody for something big? I'm not talking about like, you, you know, somebody stepped on your foot in, on the subway or like, I'm talking about something heart-wrenching that you had to look someone in the face and say, I forgive you. 
That's a choice. I'm choosing to cancel your debt. It feels like it might just kill me, but I'm going to cancel your debt. When's the last time you did that? Because God does that for you and I every single day. How many times a day, right? How many times a day does he cancel our debts? How many times a day does he look at us and say, I love you enough. You are worth enough to me that I will cancel all that you owe me because of my love for you. And so we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. And then it says this, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And so God lavishes his grace on us. He lavishes it. He's not stingy. He's not careful with his grace. He lavishes it out on you and I because we're worth that to him. My son Landon loves Parmesan cheese. He's six years old. The other day, my wife Kelly found a container of Parmesan cheese in his room. And we're sitting at dinner when this came out. And I said, Landon, why did you have Parmesan cheese in, his room, in your room? He goes, it's so good. I eat it every morning. I was like, that is so wrong on every level. That's horrifying. Also may explain some of his bathroom issues. But anyway, um, and so Landon, I'm telling you, if you put a plate of pasta in front of Landon, he takes the Parmesan cheese while I'm over kind of just sprinkling it on, and the guys make fun of me at staff meeting, I, staff meeting lunch because I'm always like, putting it on like this very carefully. I got to make sure, even distribution, people, very important, okay? But Landon takes his spoon, just, whoo, just dumps it, lavishes it on there. It looks like it's snowed on his pasta by the time it's done. And that's what God does with his grace. He's not me, little mister, like, let me get this out even and nice and even, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Everybody gets the same amount. No, he lavishes, dumps, pours out his grace on you and I. His help. His undeserved help in our lives. How many times a day? That's the worth that you and I have in God. And I could go on and on, and there are verses after this we could talk about for a long time. But I think you're getting the point that he chose you. He made you holy and blameless. And in love, he adopted you and I with full rights. And he lavishes his grace on us. And it's his pleasure and will that we belong to him. And I love that this verse says that he lavishes this grace on us with full, all wisdom and understanding. You know what that means? He has full understanding and wisdom of how much of a mess I am, and he still does it anyway. You know, he's not up there, like, without the knowledge of my sin and the the choices I make and the way I go and the things I do, and the same for you. And he, with full wisdom and understanding, says, yeah, I will lavish grace on them. I will pour it out on them over and over and over because I love them, because it pleases me, because it's my will, because I've chosen them, because I am making them holy and blameless, my own in my house, holding my remote, enjoying full rights as my children. And we're going to let a person steal that from us. We're going to let a situation, a lack of interest, Steal that from us? Today we're seeing so clearly that there should be one voice that drowns out all the others. I don't know about you, but I had a real jerk coach when I was in high school. And this guy used to scream and yell at us. I mean, he made like, he, he, his veins would be popping out, his eyeballs would be popping out. Like, I mean, the guy was crazy. I remember one time 
one of the kids on another team we were playing from another school said to one of my teammates, is your coach the devil? And my buddy was like, I think so. I honestly still don't know. He may have been. But, you know, we've had that coach that screams and yells and belittles and just goes crazy on us. And some of those weights still hang on us. Here's what I just want you to imagine, okay? So let's just pretend that that coach I had in high school is all those people in our lives that have attacked our worth. And now I want you to imagine this happening. Let's say, all right, so he comes after me. He does all that. And he's done all that he's done. And, and here, just imagine, I'm out on the softball field, okay? It's been a rough year, if I'm being honest. It's been a rough year on the softball field. But, but I'm out on the softball field. And I'm warming up, and we're having fun. And there's some people standing around, and the guys are all there, and church team ready to go. And, and all of a sudden, I notice this one guy is looking at me from the, from the side. And, and he just, he's just staring at me. And I'm playing, you know, and I'm doing my best. And, and, and he starts to walk over toward me. I'm starting to think about, okay, what's going on with this guy? And as he gets closer, I start to freak out. I'm like, Joe, you're not going to believe who that is. And as he gets closer, I mean, you're using imagination here. This did not happen. It's Derek Jeter. And he walks over to me, and he goes, hey, man, I, I just got to be honest. I hope, you, I hope this doesn't weird you out. But I just want to tell you, you have some serious, raw talent. Like, keep on doing what you're doing, man. Keep on working. it. You've got what it takes to be a great player. Am I going to care what my coach said in high school anymore? Am I going to care what anybody ever says about me ever again? Derek Jeter told me, I got it. That's going to drown. Why are people laughing? (laughs) Yo, a message about self-worth, and you laugh at me, Zach? Anyway, that's going to drown out every other voice for the rest of my life, isn't it? Some of us, maybe ladies in the room, you may say, you know, there's that person in your life that always kind of puts down your style or your design or as your mom or as a mother-in-law or an aunt or a neighbor or a friend or somebody. They always put down your style and you just, it drove you crazy, right? And to this day, you're always like, you decorate with them in mind, you know, like you're at the Home Depot, like this will hit, this will hate this, perfect, you know? And so you're out there doing your thing, you know? Now, I don't know if you guys like the show, but my wife loves the show Fixer Upper, uh, and she loves that Lady Joanna Gaines and her style. And so just imagine, okay, I don't know if that's your person, but whoever you look up to as like a decorator, you know, they walk into your house and they just, this is perfect. You got it going on. This is perfect. And Joanna Gaines saying, you know what, can you help me on my next design? And you're like, can you say that again while I record that? Because I'm texting my aunt, right? But that voice would drown out all the others. Who cares what your aunt thinks when you have that validation? And for you and I, there should be one voice that drowns out everything else when it comes to our value, when it comes to our worth. There should be one voice that we go to. And you know what? Just like you may have recorded Joanna Gaines saying that, you and I have recorded in God's word our worth. And we can go back to it as much as we want to remind ourselves who we are, and who God's made us to be. And so what I think this all comes down to today, and what I hope you'll live out, and I hope you'll be freed from the people-pleasing and from the paranoia of what people are saying and thinking next. Guys, we have to realize something. If our goal is to always please people, then if they can give us our self-worth, they can take it away, can't they? And if you, are, you and I, if our self-worth is always dependent on other people, then it's always going to be under fire. I mean, just Google anybody in the internet. You're going to get about 
million people that love him and a million people that hate him. It doesn't matter who you are. If our worth is dependent on people, it will always be under fire. It will always be takeable from us. But when you and I realize that there's one place, there's one voice that we find our worth, then all of that changes. And so what I want you guys to know today, and what it all boils down to, is that your worth is defined by God alone. That's it. Your worth is defined by God alone. I know we still have to work in offices and we still have expectations and people and we have to work with families and people are going to have opinions and that's okay. And then there's stuff we got to work through and there's stuff that people will say to us and okay, I got to process and maybe you know, I'm at work and the guys in staff meeting give me feedback on, Sunday, on Wednesday and say, you know, Doug, you should do this different. Okay, thank you for that. That doesn't define my worth though. That's great. I'm, I'm going to listen to your advice or maybe someone gives me advice I disagree with. All right, great. Whatever advice comes my way, whatever critique comes my way, whatever good news or bad news comes my way, it's not who I am. It's not where my worth is found. In fact, I told you guys before, our softball team's just getting killed this year, but I'm having more fun than ever. You know why? Because as lame as this sounds for a 37-year-old grown adult to say, (laughs) there were many years playing softball with our church team where my worth was, I was trying to find my worth on the softball field. And when it wasn't going right, like it's not been going right this year, then I walked around like I wasn't much at all because of a ball. (laughs) And so I don't know what it is for you, but when you and I discover, hey, my worth is defined by God alone, whether I have a great hit or no hits, whether I make a great catch or I fumble them all, I'm still valuable and loved by God. And so you kind of fill in your blank with whatever your go-to struggle is with that. But that's where you and I find our worth. It's in God alone. And when we find our worth in God alone, we we find an incredible joy, an incredible life that we can't find when we're worried about all these other people's opinions. And Paul Tripp said something great. He said, don't look horizontally for what we've already been given vertically. What does that mean? Don't look horizontally for what we've already been given vertically. So what you and I do, we, we look all around. Tell me I'm good. Tell me I'm doing a good job. If I'm doing a good job, then I feel good. I feel like I got my self-worth and all. And what Paul Chips is trying to say, stop looking horizontally all around at people to give you worth. Look, look vertically. It's already been given. God's already given you all the worth that you and I need. So here's how I want you to respond. I want you to make a few promises to yourself. Here are the promises. You ready? I will stop letting my worth be defined by something someone said about me. It may have been this week. It may have been 30 years ago for some of us in the room. It's time to stop letting what somebody said about you and I define us. I'll stop letting my worth be defined by how someone has treated me. Some of us have lived our lives in a certain way because someone once treated us terribly. And we've kind of been in a a prison of that ever since. Someone maybe has treated you terribly, but someone has treated you incredibly. Jesus has. And he desires to give you your worth. I'll stop letting my worth be defined by someone's disinterest in me. God's interested in you. All of you, every part of you, full rights as a child. I'll stop letting my worth be defined by whether I've lived up to someone else's expectations. And we talk a lot about this next week, but God lived up to God's expectations for you. You don't have to live up to certain expectations to how your worth. Would you remind yourself where your worth comes from. I probably do this about 100 times a day recently. Okay, this is going on. All right, well, that really hurts, but my worth is defined by God alone. Man, that was a rough game tonight. All right, 
my worth defined by God alone. Man, I, I thought that person had my back, but whew, all right. My worth is defined by God alone. The greatest form of theft right now isn't burglary. It's not robbery. It's not jewels and in banks. It's identity theft. And we have to be so careful not to let that happen to you and I on a spiritual sense. We can't let anyone rob the identity that God has given us. We're going to sing in just a minute a song that talks about us belonging to God. That we're his. That he wants us. That he chose us. That he made us holy and blameless. That he adopted us. And that he's pouring out lavishly with full wisdom, understanding, and pleasure his grace on our lives. That voice must silence every other If you're not a follower of Jesus, this applies to you as well. He wants you. He loves you. He died on a cross that you would know him and find your worth in him and not your ability or lack thereof. And so in a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray and put your trust in Jesus if you would like to. But if you're a follower of Jesus, let your worth be defined by God alone and let the joy return and let the pressure and the paranoia of people-pleasing and the loneliness of being stuck in that prison of somebody else defining your worth be freed up. Your worth is defined by God alone. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the worth that you give us. Thank you for the words that you speak about us in place of the words that have been spoken about us. Thank you for the way you treat us instead of the way others have. Thank you for the the way, God, that you're interested in us as opposed to the way that maybe others haven't been. And we just are so grateful to you, God, that you so clearly have ascribed us worth. And so I just pray today that you'll help every one of us to walk in that, God, to live out what we know. Many of us walking in the room today would say, yeah, I should get my worth from God, and yet so few of us actually live in that place. And so, God, would you help us Would you remind us this week? Would you help us to be in your word, opening up the Bible and and seeing what you say about us and the lengths you went to to purchase us back, to redeem us. And so God, thank you for the worth you ascribe to us and the worth you give us. And I pray for help for every one of us that we will not any longer be defined by what people have said, what people have done, their lack of interest or our inability to please them. So if you're a follower of Jesus, can you kind of bring your go-to thing? Maybe it's a person, a relationship. Maybe it's a, a silly as a softball. Maybe it's a, your job performance. Maybe it's what somebody said, a parent, a person, a neighbor, a coach, whatever it might be, and just line that up with what God says about you now and find that worth in him. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to put your trust in Jesus today that's something that you want to do and it's just about looking to him and asking him to be your savior he loves you so much and as hard as it is to believe maybe in the mess you might see yourself in he longs for you he's interested in you and he wants you to be his and so if you want to put your trust in him today you can pray something like this just silently pray something like this God thank you for forgiving me thank you for loving me thank you for pouring out your grace on me Thank you that with full understanding and wisdom, you still want me. Thank you that it's to your pleasure and will 
that I belong to you. Thank you for getting on the cross and dying for me. Would you be my savior? Would you forgive me for my sin? And would you let me see how real you are? And would you alone define my worth?